Hey, hello, and welcome to. Oh, sorry. Start the episode with some. Oh, so amateur. With some phlegm. So amateur. It's always nice to get some phlegm on the menus. Phlegm on the mic. Uh, so, hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the. Can I just quote you back at you? And no. leave some phlegm on the mic. Maybe. You? I think that was you. Yeah. Sorry. I had a I just thought you'd like just that you'd like them on the menu, but yeah, I know. But I just thought you'd like knowing that someone had quoted you back to you. Back to me. You said. Yeah. It's now did like I? Pop, did pop I? Culture, did I say that? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take. I'll take it. Because I've always liked that. Let's leave some phlegm on the mic. Let's leave some phlegm on the mic. It's probably from a crowd. Probably. Yeah. Uh, thing. But you've. I'm just saying you've entered my. Um, I think it's adapted from something though. Isn't there like let's leave some blood on the mic or let's? I think there's, I think it's don't adapted. Know, don't, don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Okay. I like your thing. My that's thing. all I know. Right. If years down the line I find out, you know, it was a disgusting ripoff, then that's I can live with. That. I don't know. The right disgusting now, ripoff is the word. Well, I'm just I think flam. adaption. Yeah. I think adaption. No, I'm not saying that. The, I'm not saying the ripping off is disgusting. I'm saying the flam. Part I'll is rip disgusting. you off in a minute. See, that's just weird. <laughs> You big fool. Yeah, I like the Kellogg's waffle and chicken. What did I have last time? That's seventeen dollars. Four pieces of fried chicken. That's gonna kill me dead. What did I, What did I have last time? Um, well, I had the um, I had the taco brisket. Tacos yeah, I remember what you had. What did I have? Because whatever I have, that, I, have, it, I have to get the disco fries. I have to get the disco. That, well, what are disco fries again? The cheese and gravy on the fries, oh, wow. and it's really. Is that good. what you had last time? Yeah, it's okay, really. I'll have, I'll have a little bit of that. Now. It's really good. I'll have a little bit of that. Hello, anyway, welcome <laughs> to yet another episode of the After Movie Diner. And we're back again in Brooklyn, in the Kellogg's Diner. You've heard us here before. It's nothing oh, new. Oh, oh, God, it's so old. Oh, it's so repetitive. has been done. And uh, <laughs> I'm here with my cohort. Welcome to the postmodern night. <laughs> and I'm here with my cohort, 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 and cohort, uh, Jim Wallace. Uh, and what did we watch uh, this week? <coughs> we watched so, Bride of Reanimator. The sequel. The sequel to uh, Which I believe was like five years later, six years later. I don't know, that would definitely be. I think it was 1980. When we get into like facts. You're not that's very good. very much your That's round. very much me. Facts. I am very much you, you, the fact you know, king. You usually pipe in with things like, well, I believe this was his third film. Right. Yeah, no, like this that. is only the second of the reanimator. If you look at this within the uh, genre of 80s trilogy, it's very much, yeah, that's yeah. Your, If you keep talking that's your like that. area. I will roll up the menu. And my area is. I didn't think the character worked. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. Thanks very much. Um, So yeah, Bride of Reanimator from I think 1989. I think they just squeezed this in. It did look like it was just under the 90s wire. It was just under the 90s wire, and I think therefore it's probably five years since the first one. Four or five. I don't know. Yeah, Reanimator was definitely. But it's set eight months later. Right. It's set eight months later. Uh, we've still got... <laughs> the, the clumsiest freaking... Uh, yeah, uh, explanation at the expo- beginning. Yeah, there's just like a huge... It's like Peru, South America. All right, we know where Peru is, but fair enough. Yeah. And then it was eight months and 5,000 miles away from the original massacre. Come on. <laughs> Come on. But you see, that's, that's part of the charm of these movies, is that they're sort of slightly knowingly over the top. Yeah, I guess. And I think that's all part of it. Fair um, enough, fair And so we get, you know, if if Reanimator is the uh, Lovecraftian Frankenstein story, then this is the Lovecraftian Bride of Frankenstein story, where, much like Reanimator, the plot goes so far 
and then just like devolves into special effects, grew gore and what. Yeah, I mean, there really wasn't much. And there isn't in the first one either. Like, I know you don't have much of a memory of the first one. There isn't in the first one either. There is a point up until up until where they are in the morgue in the first one where they reanimate a bunch of bodies <coughs> and uh, Dr. Hill's in there with his severed head and his headless body wandering around bumping into the furniture with Meg strapped to a gurney naked. And at that point, like, the plot stops and, and just, you know, special effects, zombie madness happens and the third act of the first one is very much like the third act of the second one except the third act of the second one pushes the zombie madness to well let's let's just say ridiculous heights i mean utterly ridiculous yeah i mean yeah you'd have to but inventive inventive heights yes inventive i can i confess that um i I'm not. I, I, I could have used more from that final bit. I felt like I was made to wait for that final bit. Right. And given like the potential of the inventiveness that there was, yeah. When the wall came down, I felt like it wasn't as. I don't know. Maybe it was the nature of like where that it had to be in that cramped space. Yeah, I think that it all became a bit... Also, I mean, no doubt the budget has a lot to play at that point as well. But you have two effects houses working on this. You have KMB Effects, who are in about their third year of being... Here we, an go, here we go with the facts. I enjoy the facts. Well. They're in their second or third year of being an official outfit. Right, and then who, who are they again? Talk to me about who they That's are. Greg Nicotero, right, so that's Howard Berger, and, and Robert Kurtzman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Kurtzman's now broken away and does his own thing out of Ohio right. and worked on John Dies at the End and um, uh, something else recently that he's well, done. What did, what did the, what did the K but, and But B K and B, uh, which is now K and B, because right. it's Howard Berger and, and, and Greg Nicotero. Um, no, that would just be N and B. Sorry, yes. N and B. Right. The K has moved away. K has gone. N and B. Uh, they now, you're right, Nicotero is basically just doing The Walking Dead at this point. Um, and I don't know how much Berger works on that or whether he like runs other departments or whatever because K, K and B in their day became, prior to Weta, which are the guys who did all the um, Lord of the Rings stuff, mm-hmm. K and B were the big special effects house okay. like they took what Dick Smith Tom Savini um, uh, who's the guy who did American Werewolf in London Rick Baker like all those guys are like one or two guys you know what I mean like the biggest crew Savini ever had was on Day of the Dead right. uh, where he had three or four people helping him out really Day of the Dead yeah because he had like much more involved zombie makeup and special effects and you think of all the effects I mean Day of the Dead is a big effect showcase for Savini yeah that's true you know there's the eye ripping out scene yeah. and the head comes off and the whole bit like yeah there's that whole bit so and there's Bub who right. is like a very involved zombie makeup so um, all those guys kind of have like they have effects houses but they're pretty small right but K and B kind of were the first to say, well, we're going to have a creature workshop and we're going to have a makeup workshop and we're going to do animatronics and we're going to do, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Like they, they so this is their, they this work. Is the, this is still there well, pretty they, early on. Yeah, because when they do Evil Dead 2 in 86, 87, 
They're still working under Mark Showstrom, and although they form as KNB, that's still not an official KNB title. And then, so they're what, like two guys working for a bigger company? Three guys working for Mark Showstrom, who brings them on as part of his team on Evil Dead. On Evil Dead Two, on Evil Dead Two. and that's where they're sat. So, there. so is he, was he the guy on Evil Dead, or just Raimi no. brought him in for? Evil no, Dead Mark Showstrom worked on. What was Showstrom famous for? Did he do some of the Nightmare on Elm Streets? I forget. What I should point out that I feel, I feel like this is a relevant discussion to be had because the reason for the... Well, and the what, other one is Screaming Mad George. He's the other no, I, special I, effects I guy who worked on it. The, the reason that it's an, an interesting discussion to be had and why I want to think of brains about it is that the whole movie, Brian Reanimated, seems to be... It's a kind of movie that doesn't really exist anymore where movies used to be brought out based on the fact they were going to have like tons of gore in them. That's why yeah, people would watch them. Yeah, and ideas. And gore, right. right. Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily... I mean, yeah, the ideas for effects and, you know, gory things and, you know, the, the practical nature of it, but also, yeah, the idea of creating them. And people would want to see that. Like, people would want to see, like, gory, horrible movies, which they don't right. these days. Right. At least not in terms of what's getting made for cinematic release, which you'd have to say is a, is, is a reflection of what people want. Like, you know... The reason that they yeah, I mean, still you, what like have found you... footage and all, but not found footage. The um, the big thing is the possession movies the, the, and yeah, ghost movies. movies. Ghost movies, it's got all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's what people want to see. People want to be scared rather than like icked out. You know I mean, people don't want to go ick anymore. They want to go. Um, yeah, I guess so. And, and this, yeah, I mean, there's nothing in. I would say there's nothing really in Reanimator or Bride of Reanimator. That is scary no, to, to us. However, if it was one that we had seen... Like, Reanimator was one that I saw as a teenager right at the time that I was getting into movies like Evil Dead 2, Reanimator, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, some of the later Friday the 13th, um, <clears throat> where if you see them at, like, 1 or 2 in the morning and you've got, like the incredibly stylistic lighting and you've got the gore and you've got monsters and you've got stuff like going on that's a bit hectic and a bit surreal and a bit um, yes I suppose so. assaulting of the senses yeah it's not scary but it does leave you with that no no you mean no, that's slightly unnerved yeah, yeah. in the same way that sometimes when I'm watching the, scare, the modern scary movies I find it difficult to watch because I'm 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 too scared to look. Like I, I do get that sometimes. Because right. I'm too scared to look. But this is more about I'm too scared to look because it's so horrible and disgusting. And that idea of the body being so fragile. I guess. Hey, how you doing? Are you ready to order, man? Um, yes, I believe I am. Yeah. Uh, me too. Can I get um, uh, a silver cup on a panini and a cup of caramel tea? Oh, thank you very much. Uh, can I get the popcorn shrimp? Um, and I'll get that with a side of disco fries, please. That's it. Thank you very much. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, scary would be, you know, if I was in my late teens, the bit where at the end she's uh, holding out her heart and her body is like decomposing yeah, a bit that, was a, that, was a, that, was that a would good, have been pretty intense for that me was very cool. I, so I like that. 
so let's let's go back to the beginning. So this is the Arrow Blu-ray right. of Bride of Reanimator, which I believe is set to come out in April. So we're a little we're it's a preview. We're doing a preview. Official. Although Bride of Reanimator the movie has been out a long time. Right. The cut we watched was the uncut unrated version, unrated version. And you could see like a lot of these that are then put together after the fact. Yeah, there were two scenes, right? Where it was the, the There was more than two, but there were some little bits as well, but like you could see a difference in the quality yeah, of yeah, footage. Yeah. Was, which which to be honest is pretty standard. That's nothing that Arrow can help. It's just no, that. No, but it's, in you're, order making, you're making the choice, right? You're making the choice of look. You can either have, if you want to watch the unrated version, then you you get everything that there is available. Yes. But some of it is not going to be as good quality as the other because of you know this is the only footage that you've got. And at least they've gone back and edited it in. Yeah. So that you can sit and watch to, the but movie. I understand, like, because one of the things that was definitely unrated was her pulling out her heart and holding it out. To right. And I feel like that was that's quite a key moment in the whole, yes, in the whole and, movie. And I would imagine... In terms of like an idea or something. Yeah, although I haven't seen the R-rated cut, I would, <laughs> I would imagine that bits of it are in there. Right. And the way that they edited it in was that they just let the unrated footage play rather than cutting back and forth between whatever was in the R-rated cut and the unrated cut. They just went, well, we want all this sequence in, so we're just going to edit in the whole unrated thing. But I would imagine some of it was still in the R-rated, otherwise, no. like you say, how would you get Yeah, maybe you're right, maybe it's because I guess sometimes when they, when they censor stuff, <laughs> sometimes it is about the length of the shot. Right. So I think anyone... Anyone who is coming to special editions, director's cuts, unrated cuts, you name it, I think at this point as movie collectors we're well aware that if they're using uh, test print footage or old VHS footage that they've edited in from another source... Um, that a little bit of degeneration is is expected, and in this it wasn't jarring. No, 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 no it wasn't. The, the 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 if anything, it gave it like a little free song. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it gave it like a, oh, this what is are we about to see? Right, 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 we right. Weren't allowed to see. Um, so we watched the unrated cut. So I feel like we've seen everything. The two special effects houses worked on it. Screaming Mad George. And I forget what he's famous for. So Screaming Mad George and KMB working sort of side by side. Uh, we didn't watch any of the special features, unfortunately, because we just didn't have the time. But there are a whole raft of documentaries. There's probably one on the special effects, I would imagine. Um, this is a Brian Usner joint, which means it's directed by the producer of the first one. Usner was part of the production company that, that brought Stuart Gordon and stuff together for the first one. Uh, he also directed Return of the Living Dead 3. Uh, no, I tell you what Screaming Mad George worked on. Another Usner film, Society. Screaming Mad George is famous for that ending sequence in Society with people's heads coming out of their butts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's what Screaming Mad George is for. And I believe Society comes before this, so it may even be something that used to brought him on after seeing what he did at the end of that. But he's known as doing gooey, weird shit. So I would imagine like some of the bits at the end with like head stitched onto legs and well, it's, sorry, sorry, all that. I know there's not, like, not much of a plot. But right, 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 right. So the movie starts eight months <laughs> after the right, right. First so it starts one at, and they're in South America right. for no reason, and then they come home. 
Well, that, that's where he kind of finds out about well, the yeah. iguana, and also when he works out that. Well, what is what's, what was the iguana thing? I didn't really get the iguana. Though. Well, first of all, iguanas, if you rip off their tail, don't they grow a new one or something? Right, but hasn't he already reanimated things? Like, what's the? What He's he already reanimated things, but with the iguana and with some of Doctor Hill in the first movie, because he's a severed head and a severed body and a body without a head. He figures out that, like, the life force isn't just in the brain, it's throughout the body. Right. That's kind of like the driving force in this one. In the first one, it's all about reanimating the brain post-death. So how long does the brain uh, survive okay. right, once the body dies? Okay, all right, and this one's just the body. Okay, so so they're in South America, presumably kind of laying low and also uh, continuing their research, but then the war that they're in the middle of using all the dead people, dead soldiers war, gets a bit too hot for them, yeah. so they run away, or they go back Also, to... the Italian bird is in South America. Again, yeah, something that isn't no really explained. Yeah. Um, then they go back to where they come from, which again is like... I... Well, it's Arkham Miskatonic. Yeah. The town is called Arkham, and the, the like university is called Miskatonic, which they... is a nod to H.P. Lovecraft, because that's where the story takes place. Right, fair enough. So they go back to where the, the first thing happened. And then, basically, uh, the, the plot of the movie seems to be their choice. Well, there's, there's three dead bodies from the... Uh, well, don't, no, don't, massacre don't get, that's still don't get too don't get too involved in it because we can we can come back to that. My point is that the essential plot. Well, is... no, because that explains what the policeman's doing. I was going to make the leap to the fact that throughout the movie, oh, fair enough, yeah. So three of the reanimated corpses at the end of the first one are now in the psycho ward of the hospital, which is quite still effective. reanimated, but like like they are at the end of the first one, drooling, juttery, gloopy stuff coming out of them, generally kind of zombie esque. But much more disturbing than zombies because they're obviously they're not like. Um, it's different from zombies because they're not uh, they're not preserved in some kind of um, I think about zombies they're either like, preserved in the way that they die right so they've got like they've got bits missing or whatever or they're decaying yeah. but there's a feeling of even with even with your zombie the decay is I don't know there's something natural about it does that make sense like, right like whereas these decay. don't decay these are in the these are state like they were on the slab yeah, when they were brought in. definitely figured these things... Sh- I know obviously zombies shouldn't be alive, but with a zombie there's a feeling of this is a dead person who's come back to life. Do you know the difference? What? I think the difference being, apart from the fact that these... First of all, these zombies carry the wounds with them of whatever brought them into the right. mortuary in the first place. So one of them, for example, has a stitch from his navel all the way up to his neck where right. he was obviously split open and, and had an autopsy. Um, but also, they're in pain. Yeah, They've like been reanimated and their body is feeling all the pain of their death. Yeah, that's true. So that's meant to it's be... It's like really horrible, disgusting... It's just like... It's, it's like really embalming nasty. fluid yeah, yeah, yeah. and blood and everything exactly else and bile coming but out. But it is effective. The idea of so, putting them in the, in the lunatic asylum is... is yeah, that's, that's quite effective. Anyway, so they're in And there. it's also a, hit, a throwback to the first movie where the principal, Halsey, 
is put in a straight jacket because they believe he's gone crazy, but actually he's been reanimated. So he's like throwing himself against the window and like very crazed and, and okay, cool. kind of stuff. So, so one of and the well, yeah, one of the yeah. one of the people one of the reanimated corpses um, is a woman, and her husband turns out to be a cop who, throughout the movie, is you know trying to. Well, he's reopened the case and he's dig- he's trying to figure out how his wife is back alive again for two yeah, reasons a because his wife's reanimated so he knows something went on secondly because he actually killed her oh that's right yeah which is that was quite that was he quite claims that she fell down the stairs but west when confronted with him admits that she was brought in with multiple contusions about her head yeah, and he right. is, the cop is constantly referred to as a wife beater i presume so that we don't feel too bad when herbert west kills him yeah, I feel like it's an it's an odd one because you would you would expect in your, in your normal horror film for the, for there to be a cop investigating the horrible goings on and for them to be a bit of a like a bit of a narrative driving force, a bit of a cipher, but not much more than that to make them. Like the murderer of the wife they're trying to avenge. That's a neat little turnaround. Yeah. It? And I don't really feel like they care about whether the audience, you know, forgive or identify with Coombs because right. Coombs is, like, he's pretty far gone. In well, Coombs, terms of Coombs to me, especially in this one, but I think in both of them, is much akin to Cushing in the Hammer Frankenstein movies, meaning that his morality is not the point of his character. No. Like, the point of his character is science, work, uh, figuring this stuff out on and above everything else. Yeah, He's it's, absolutely it's pure, focused and dedicated. Um, inquiry, that's all yeah. Right, with a... With a healthy, heavy dose of mad scientist, yeah, like, galloped sure. on top. But anyway, so, so basically, Wes and Kane are Kane. continuing their experiments. Kane, who's a bit of a meathead cipher, to yeah. be honest. Uh, he, so he's, they're continuing their experiments, and the cops trying to bring them down, and their experiment is trying to, looks to be culminating, as it were, in making a hey, woman, from, yeah, from scratch, right? Oh, that was Thank you very much. Yeah, they're making a woman from scratch, basically. Um, you know, and what we find out in the end is that, and we see a little bit of this, is that West has been experimenting, stitching a whole bunch of body parts to a whole bunch of other body parts just for his own kind of warped amusement almost. But also to try stuff out, but also just a little bit like, I wonder what would happen if I did this, you know? Well, okay, so the thing is, and I, and I, okay, now I haven't seen Society. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, um, can I take my camera off? Thank you very much. Um, now, I haven't seen Society, but I understand that a criticism of it is that, uh, you know, it takes a long time to get to the end, and that's what you're there for. You're there for the end, right? Right. That everything up to then is not, is okay, it's fine, but the whole movie is a delivery system for that big final thing. Would that be fair? 
Yes, but I would say if you're about to level that accusation at this, I would say this is way more successful than society. No, no, no. I wasn't actually. What I was going to say is, I, I mean, I don't think that, but I do think. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> what I think is that I'm not sure how interested it Usner is in parts of, of the movie that don't involve the gore and the special effects. Right. And I think my biggest problem with the movie was that it was the pacing is is horrible. Yes, I agree with that. I do agree with that. But I think that the one thing that keeps me watching is Combs. Yeah, yeah. Like I Jeffrey Combs. And let's be fair, again, much in the same way as the Cushing Frankenstein movies. Like, there are a couple of the Cushing Frankenstein movies that have great supporting players and all the rest of it, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm really just Thank enjoying you. all of this. Thank you. I'm really enjoying all of this. But there are a couple of Cushing Frankenstein movies where you're like, God, Cushing wasn't in this. I really wouldn't be sticking with it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I think this movie has three things going for it. I think it has Combs being amazing. I mean, yes, being a crazy old ham, but in the most enjoyable way. Yeah, he, he is, and in he a is way, really good. And in a way that's consistent. Like, you never feel he's out of his character. You never feel he's going on and above his character. It all feels within realistic, within who West is. And that takes quite, like, a deft hand to do that. Like, it takes quite a, a, a skilled, like, person to ham it up that much but still maintain the believability of his right. central thesis. Right. Um, did, sorry, did we finish... Just so yeah, the, and the, the big experiment is they're trying to make make a woman from scratch using different parts. Yeah, and that's they going to be their big. Yeah, that's going to be their big trial. Yeah, and that's that's it. That's that's, that's it. Plot. Right, and we're all building towards that. We're all building to her. Right, walking off the slab. Right. Meanwhile, well, there's okay. There's another bit. Meanwhile, uh, Doctor Hill's head from the first one is reanimated by a curious mortician. Um, he gets all megalomaniacal, just like he is in the first one. He is able to, in some way, mind control the zombies a little bit, like a bit of a puppet master type thing. And although it's not gone into in any great shapes, it is kind of hinted at a little bit. They stitch bat wings onto his head, and he flaps off to... Well, he's put in a crate... By one of his zombies, the sheriff, the, the the detective guy, and the detective guy, the three zombies from the psycho ward, and the severed head with bat wings on it, break out and go to attack Combs and and um, Bruce Abbott right. playing Dan Kane in the house, right at the same time that they are reanimating this woman. So it all culminates in a big like gore horror fest at the end of the movie so the movie has combs it has really good cinematography like it looks good yeah sure. the movie looks good and it's lit well yeah and there's interesting sets and everything is kind of done nicely yeah in a thought about yes low budget but thought about well done kind of there's set dressing 
there's lighting, like there's some art direction. It's been thought about. So that's constantly engaging. Even when the pacing drags, there's stuff in the house to look at, there's stuff in the lab to look at, there's stuff in the mortuary to look at. Like there's, it's worth looking at. And then thirdly, the effects. And that's really all the, the three major things the movie has going for it as well. I guess, I guess the thing was, I kind of feel... The movie's obviously building up to a big thing. Yeah. That's a parody. But you need things happening. Now, everything... I, I agree with you. Everything that happens with Kimes up until that point is great because it's... Like you say, it's this idle... Um, this idle scientific cruelty where he'll yeah, stitch an arm to a leg just to see what happens. Well, as it kicks him in the head and he throws it in the bin. Like, that's a great little aside. Right. But it needed things to be happening in between what he was doing. Because he's not the lead character, either. He, he gets an and at the front of the movie. Right, which he gets in the first one as well. Right, but uh, the guy that's supposedly carrying the thing, you know, his bland assistant... He is genuinely the bland doesn't have, like, doesn't have anything to do. No, he's a ladies' man who cares too much. Right, but... There needs to be something with some... Like, the thing we did trying to remember is... She's in the South American jungle. Then she's gone. Then she turns up outside the hospital in Massachusetts. By coincidence. And only coincidence. It's never like... Oh, what a coincidence. But secretly I'm here to write about what mad men are. Which would have made sense. Right. And I... Had it had something in there about... She's like an investigator. She's a journalist, right? That's what she's supposed to be. Is she? I think so. Is she? I think so. I think she's there's never any. I know, I know, but I think she's supposed to be a journalist. So the idea of her covering the war, then seeing these two mentalists, you know, doing mad things to bodies, and then following them back to Massachusetts, and then falling in love with the straight edge one, and causing him to question whether he should really be doing all this stuff in the first place. Blah 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 blah. All the while, everybody's being, you know, everything's being ratcheted up by this policeman with a vendetta. And all the while this is happening, right in the middle of it, is this total psychopath, played by Coombs, mucking around with things he really shouldn't be mucking around with, for no other reason than it amuses him. Right. And, it, and seemingly, you know, oblivious of the consequences. The direct consequences, just in terms of the policeman and the journalist and the rest of it, that, I think, would have worked. Right. But everything that, that Coombs isn't directly involved in is sloppy and slow and yeah. nobody's really got any characters and nobody does anything for any reason. And so it undercuts Coombs because his insanity doesn't have anything to play on. He's got no... If there were, like, real people around um, or even just B-movie character tropes around it. He would have something to play. Well, it's not just that. Nobody's it's also anything. like there are long scenes, two or three long scenes, where he is reconvincing Dan that they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and it's But there's no... Well, no, no. And although Coombs is very persuasive and delivers the speech as well... There's no indication on the character of Dan Kane, played by Bruce Abbott, that he either gives in or anything. Like, he's just kind of vacant. Like, he just vacantly then goes, oh, all right, then I'll do it. But there's no, like, there's no heavy sigh. There's no idea that it's weighing on him. He's not even that forceful when he comes down with, like, I'm moving out. He's not even that kind of... I, I don't... 
it didn't feel to me watching the movie that Usner was interested at all in anything except the scenes involving special effects. He just didn't seem interested. Which is totally fine. But then I think you need to go, well, look, I'm not interested in this. This this isn't quite in my boat. I like talking with the special effects guys and coming up with great ideas, and that's what's quite in my boat. But then there needs to be, especially if he's a producer, there has to be a realisation that, well, there needs to be a movie amongst all of these special effects, even just a very basic one. Right. If I'm not interested, then I'll hand it over to the first AD or the writer or, or this is something to make sure that those things get taken care of but it's you know and like the, the scene with him and the, and the, and the, uh, and the, the Italian journalist the, <laughs> with the glasses and the tight sweater um, look she comes over for dinner and then they kiss and then jump cut they're in bed right. Ju- and then they kiss for five seconds and then jump cut they're asleep yeah. like the whole scene's like whoa like there's not even like yeah okay fair enough we're going to jump to like a sex scene but it wasn't even a sex scene it was just right. it was almost as if there was five pages right. and he just went nah kitchen bedroom shot in the kitchen shot in the bedroom shot of but that's it the end you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's just, also like, a rushing whole... through to get to the next bit of Coombs stitching something together. The other Which problem cool, with but... having her in it, having her in it, and I think she was one of the problems, is that, especially in the third act, but even in the second act, she witnesses a whole bunch of stuff no, it makes no that anybody else would just go, okay, I'm not going near that ever again. Like, she sees her dog with a... Well, no, she sees a zombie rip the leg off her dog and throw it against a fire. And kill her dog. And kill her dog. Then she sees her dog... Later that night, in the same house that she's still in. Yeah. She sees the dog reanimated with a human hand where her where its leg was. Right. Right? Even Does then... Does she leave the house? No. No. Well, no, she, she might leave the house call? then. And I think he says something like, well, I think it's good you got rid of her. Like that. Which I think, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't want to keep her around or whatever. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she does. And then later on... And then later on, she's... Like, some receptionist says to him, says to her, oh, yeah, that doctor, but he cares so much about his patients. He was really upset when one of them died. This is enough for her to fall in love with him all over again. Ignoring the fact that he works in a cellar cutting up and reanimating dead bodies, including a dog. Yeah. Very weird. It takes more, I think, than crying because you could, you know, because one of your patients is dead. To turn that to turn that around, I feel. Yeah. Particularly is what she really should be thinking is, oh, I wonder if she's gonna reanimate that patient. Because the answer would be yes. Would be yes. And I think that and people who don't care about that stuff, that's She's okay. There. You don't have to care about that stuff, but then don't put it in your movie. She's there to simply provide someone to scream and be scared at the end. It's just... And also, oh, also for her to witness... There's some indication that it's a bit horrific that she witnesses the Frankenstein's bride that they create out of all these little bits. And Combs, by the way, going around and describing all the little bits of the body that they used... Oh, yeah, Absolute gold. gold. Yeah, that sequence before she rises from the dead. So, her witnessing this like freakish collection of body parts getting off the slab, and basically being all over her boyfriend Dan Kane, Bruce Bruce Abbott's character, 
there's something there that's meant to be a little horrific and a little like unnerving for her to witness. Well, I, but I think she's supposed to function as some kind of like because there's there's a, there's some indication that um, Blandy Squarejaw face is supposed to sort of be a bit in love with the reanimator, but obviously they they couldn't or wouldn't get cramped in that. So instead, he has to fall in love with the face of a patient that he's grown a bit close to because she sort of reminds him a bit of Crampton. Right. Um, so that doesn't, that's not really effective either because you can't ever... If it had the face of Crampton, if it was like his... But it had a heart and not a face. So there was a thing of, well, you're kind of attracted to... Like, there was no real conflict there because it just had the face of somebody that you know probably. You know what I mean? Whereas that thing they were going for, which is, does he love his old girlfriend enough that even though she's a stitched together, you know, montage of Holmes' right. madness, um, does that, you know, does that matter? Nice sentence, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, does that matter? Or is he going to go with the, with the Italian journalist in a tight sweater? Like... What's his and like obviously he's going to go for the Italian journalist in the sweater because apparently she's proved to nothing else. You know she's a forgiving woman. Yeah. You know she's understanding. Yeah. She's understanding. Um, and but that that whole thing and the, but my biggest problem with the movie, right? Because I agree with you. Coombs is great. The special effects are brilliant. There's a lot of really nice touches to it. I like the three old corpses in the in the lunatic asylum. I like the. Um, one who looks like Rob Zombie, which was making me laugh the whole right, way right. through. Um, I like the idea of making the cop uh, not so much revenge for his wife, but like maybe even like hushing it up. I don't know. Right. But, you know, driven to some kind of madness by the fact that the woman that he killed is now back to life. Like that was it. But he needed to be more of a character. Like had he the, wasn't enough. Of a had the cop been a sneaky eyebrow arched type guy who was like going tete a tete with with Coombs's eyebrow arching weirdo that would have at least been a show like that would have at least been something to watch you know what I mean yeah, yeah. like had the cop been genuinely like poking around menacing a little yeah. bit slimy and there was, pl- there was plenty of time for that for that right but it's, it's like they couldn't pick whether they wanted the thing to be threatening. Because it's all about... Coombs is doing his experiments, right? So what's threatening that? Is it that his that square-jawed, you know, bland face is um, losing interest and falling in love with this woman? Right. Or is it that they're under threat from the policeman? But it, because it's both... Neither of those things gets any room to breathe or any time to develop into anything interesting. Right. You're talking about a good, what, two-thirds of the movie. It's, like, not interesting. With the stuff that is... No, I would say about a third of the movie. Maybe you're right, OK, maybe a third. Yeah, you're right, OK. The, but all the special effects are great. But my biggest problem is that it's all leading up to this big grandstand finish. And while there are moments in that, in that grandstand finish that are completely brilliant, the... I love the, her holding out, the, the, the bride reaching in and grabbing her heart and holding it out to them, saying, is this what you want? And then her disintegrating was really disgusting and creepy, but also kind of sad. And, right. Like, it was a great shot. 
yeah. pushing the, the, the wall down and having all his mad creatures be waiting there was, was great. But at that, that point, I felt, when the, the, you know, the bride's got her, her heart out and it's like disintegrating on the table and the wall's been pushed open and they're all subject to his experiments, that's where the grandstand finish should have begun for me. Right. But it didn't really happen. It was all broom dust and falling masonry in a tiny room and Coombe sort of being pulled around a bit by a couple of the experiments, but like not really, I couldn't really tell. And there, like there was a, a there was such scope there for horror and black comedy and disgust and all the things they've been building up to and it didn't really happen. Right. And that bothered me. I was a bit disappointed by that. Yeah, I mean you could have gone you could have gone a little bit slapstick with it. Yeah, that would have been And fine. it's almost like... It, it, it's, it's almost like the thing that everyone loves Raimi for, for example, which is his excess of uh, slapstick and horror. It's almost like each time they try that in this particular movie, and there was definitely potential for it with... Combs and the leg hand monster. Yeah. Right, where at one point it kicks him in the head and he falls down, and then of course he comes up from behind the table with the hand throttling him. Right. Right. They go, well, that's enough of that. You know, we'll do, that's it. We'll do that bit, but let's yeah, not yeah, go yeah. too far. Um, you know, otherwise it descends into a, you know, Campbell esque. <laughs> Splatstick set piece, and we'll leave that to the other guys. Let's not try and do that ourselves. Let's leave that to the the Ramies and Campbells, and let's do our own Combs and Usmith thing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I, I, there was lots about it to really, really like. But that, yeah, okay. The, I mean, the, let's, let's let's like back off it for a second. Okay, fair enough. With a negativity, let's say that. Let's take ourselves back to the 80s, or even the early 90s. I think the point of the movie, outside of everything we're talking about, is to have a film that, if you enter it knowing, maybe having only seen the first one once, right? Because it's not, you which don't is, know. Which is, I think I only have, I've only ever seen it once. Right. And this is yet another rental from a video store and you're sat down with your buddies on a Saturday night and you sit and you watch this movie and every five to ten minutes there's a moment where you're like, wait a minute, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Did he just stitch four fingers and an eyeball together? And did it go running around the house? Yeah, there were like, plenty of memorable like moments to that. You know what I mean? Like, and then did he okay. have a small fight so, with an arm hand thing? And then like so when me. So what I'm saying is, right. by the time you get to that big end sequence, I think you're all meant to be a little like I think if Yusner had his way, you're all meant to be a little high and or a little drunk and or just a little bit like woohoo! It's two in the morning. We're still watching this mad movie. And I think once the wall comes down and you see people with, like, shoulders on their head and, you know, uh, a leg with a face and a double-headed woman and all the rest of it, like, once you see that stuff, you're meant to be like, woo and it's like, oh, it's a bit Bananas Freak Show for, like, ten minutes. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And I understand your point that the Bananas Freak Show doesn't really go anywhere, right? And no, it, fact, it, no, it's not that it didn't go anywhere. It's just that I wanted it to be bigger, that's all. Right, there wasn't, I like, just wanted it to be worth it. And we don't know what they were able to 
spend money on or achieve. You know what I mean? No, like, I agree, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm with you on that because thinking back to when I used to watch horror films with Milbrow, right, um, back in Hazel. You know, we were obviously like we would smile. I mean, it would, I can't remember if we drove you bananas or whether you were out there with us, but. You know, we would take like three or four or five cigarette breaks in a film. Yeah. So if we'd watched this one, every time a cigarette break, there would have been something to talk about. Like you're saying, the mad fingers. Uh, something to talk about, uh, you know, over the cigarette. For sure, that was regular. And I guess, I know we've talked before about how sometimes you have to sit through a whole movie where nothing happens because they're saving their money for the big thing at the end. Whereas this one did feel like every 20 minutes, every 50 minutes, there was a big, you know, special effects set piece. And maybe that means the end does suffer because of that. So I guess... But I also think that we have to go back to a point where you're not watching this movie for any other character other than maybe Jeffrey Combs. Right. And and also, you're watching this movie and seeing shit you never, ever, ever thought you'd see put on screen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. We're at a point now, because of the movies we've seen, the life we've lived, whatever. That's right, yeah. Right. Then we're a little jaded. A yeah. little. Yeah, no, fat, you know no, fat point. Like, I watched this movie and appreciated the crazy ideas instead of feeling like oh there's a crazy idea yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean yeah yeah yeah. I like I appreciated that they like sewed bats wings onto the guy's head and flew that around fun. yeah but if you grew up watching Terry Gilliam cartoons that's not a huge leap you know no. what I mean like you kind of if you are the sort of person that like you and I are where for a vast swathe of our life some of our best times were sitting around in the cellar coming up with bonkers ideas then part of the thrill of a movie like this is to see some of those ideas realised it doesn't necessarily have to be in the midst of a dramatically satisfying yeah Yeah, fair point you can say I've seen a movie in which an arm is strapped to a a leg you're right actually and brought back yeah because I suppose on one level uh, yeah, I'm finished. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm done as well. Thanks. Okay. Um, so good. Those disco fries. I might have to do that next time. I might have to get the popcorn shrimp from the disco. Yeah, 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 I'm good. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, on one level, there's de- there's definitely value in sitting through something, whatever it is, where there's some image um, that. Uh, no, I think that'll do us. Right? No, I think we're good. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Um, there's Thanks. some image or something that sticks in your mind. Yeah. And you're right. When you're when you're 14, 15, 16, when, how old were we when we were watching these kinds of films? Yeah. Um, you know, like House Two. And right. Friday the Thirteenth. House is another prime example. Yeah. All the, all those kind of movies. Well, like look, you look, you watch Nightmare on Elm Street again now, and it's you know. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, a lot of it's garbage. Right. There's you know, enough. You know, like amazing. In fact, that whole series. Throughout the 80s and into the 90s, that whole series becomes, how do we top ourselves? 
Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he makes the person a marionette. He makes the person like a giant worm. He injects the guy with like all the needles in his fingers. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. we need to take this to another ridiculous level. Right, right, right. <clears throat> Hellraiser has the same thing. It's like we have so many of the, what are they called? They're not demons. What are they? Called? Yeah. Oh. Cenobites. Cenobites. We have so many of the Cenobites in the first one, three or four of them. But like as the movies go on, like how much more obscene can we make them and how much more graphic can we do and blah, 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 blah. Right. And like <clears throat> with the movie series franchises that go on and on and on, especially throughout that decade, excess and weirdness is the key. And while I completely take on board everything you said about movie, and while, yeah, you're right, there were bits in this movie where I'm watching it going, get on with it, come on now, I know what's coming. Like, I predicted that the woman and the, the Frankenstein's monster would fight. I predicted the guy would have bat wings thrown onto his head. Like, I, there's a whole bunch of stuff where I'm like, just show me the, like, show me the money at this point. Like, I'm just ready? waiting for it. But... I would never, ever, ever condemn it because it was a point in cinema where people were like, here's a fucked up idea, let's go do it. Yeah, and that's fine. And, and we don't, and we have way, 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 way too little of that now in movies in general. I'm inclined to, I'm inclined to agree with you, actually, that one of the problems in the movies now is that people want to see things done in a certain way and people are, people want to see you know craft you know rather than see things be pushed I mean, but that's, I mean, that's you know, no, a I huge generalisation no no I think that's right I think people are watching something like Bride of Reanimator for the craft of special effects I, I think that's one of the reasons why you watch it if you're if you're a gore no, hound, I, I think, I think hound, that's. that's a, I, mean, I see what you're saying, but I think that's a. That's true, but that's not. When we're like 14, 15, remember, we're not sitting down at me at Friday night to watch, watch it for special effects. We're watching no, but it we're watching it. What the special, the special effects affect us, but those practical special effects, which you don't get with the CGI. <clears> like my, even though it was all fake, obviously because it's all practical stuff. I, you know, it made me feel ill. It made me feel unwell to watch it. Which, no matter what the CGI is, I never feel that. Right. The effect of her reaching into her own nauseous. chest and yeah. pulling out a heart. Or her falling to really pieces. Well all that, the, the, you know, the, the stuff on the Rob Zombie's beard and the lunatic aside. You know, right. It made me feel unwell. The severed head before it started flying around, but the severed head like on the deck. Yeah, it makes you feel was unwell. Was done really well. Yeah, it makes you feel unwell, and that's a, that's a, a visceral reaction. And I think you're right. I, I think there is there's something to be said for watching something that gives you images that you will remember forever. Right, but there's also... I'm not going to forget the guy with bat wings side on the side of his head flying around cackling. Like, I'm right. not going to forget that. Or the two-headed one with the one face on one side and yeah, one face on the Yeah, that was real creepy. And the, even the, the hands, the, the, the arms sewn to the leg. Yeah. I'm not going to forget that either. And I guess that's, you know, there, there is something to that. In Are terms we spreading of, this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think we... Yeah, basically. fifty fifty is fine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, about a dollar difference, actually, but whatever. Yeah, well, I'll take that off you. Okay. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I still say that even with all the CGI... I would say that, for example, something like Sharks in a Tornado, Sharknado, 
which everyone goes, oh, isn't that a wacky idea? Isn't that a crazy idea? Isn't that whatever? I would say that's a much saner, more normal idea and much easier to realise in CGI than it is to say, what would happen if we strapped four fingers and an eyeball together and had it scurry around the house? Like, that's more inventive to my way of thinking than, than just sharks in a tornado. I agree, but I think... I... <clears throat> so I'm saying that now... But, but to be fair, but to be fair, I would say... But the, 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 the shark thing is not fulfilling the same... Um... Split 50-50, yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. It's not fulfilling the same need. Reanimator, the, you know, the video store rental, the desire to be like, sit with your friends and get and be, you know, scared or, you know... Laugh or drunk or trouble or whatever, right. Um, no, I get that. What I'm saying is, is I'm saying the inventiveness, even with something that is perceived to be crazy and surreal and whatever... <laughs> In today's B movies, are not the same as it was back then. No, true, but I would, but I would say, and therefore I would applaud this on that level. But I, I would, I, I would say that the, the difference, but this is, this is based on, this is, this is based on an idea. Thank, thank you very much. This is based on an idea. That one's yours. Yeah, um, that somebody's already had and has already succeeded. Not just Reanimator, but H.P. Lovecraft, right? Right. And I would say that modern B movie horrors are more about creating their own, like a brand new mythology from scratch. And yeah, they're just trying to like scare you and... Well, they're off the back of 1950s, well, 1930s through the 1950s monster movies is what they're off the back of. You know what I mean? Well, what are we talking about now? All the like two-headed shark attack, Sharknado, uh, Mega no, Octopus, just, further, whatever. It's not. It's not. It's not. I mean, yeah. It's, yes, I, I guess it's a similar thing, but it's it's a simple idea that gets people. You know, it's enough to get people to tune in and talk about, and that's it. No, no, I agree with you. My only point was is that you're only for all its weaknesses, it has, for my money, a creative, artistic, surrealistic. Uh, Integrity? No, energy and idea and whatever that is just missing for me nowadays and why I am more often than not bored by modern movies in a way that I would not be bored by this if I was 16 to 18. But But I tend to be... These days when I watch modern horror films, I tend to... If they're good... I really, I do get scared, but frightened. Did you see Housebound, by the way? Oh, the New Zealand one. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I right? really loved. Yeah, it. yeah, that was great. That was, because that was funny it was, and it was weird. It was set cool. up as if it was ghosts. Yeah. And then wasn't ghosts, which I really liked. No, no it was great. I know, I loved that one. No, but yeah. I'm saying even just a second, like there was one. It was like a found footage. What the hell was it called? Um, it was a found footage one about uh, a bunch of um, like, in, like. In, you know, you get those movies that go, oh yes, I'm I'm a I'm a, uh, an archaeologist and I've got you know eight degrees and two postgraduate degrees and I speak eight languages. You go, you're 22 and you're obviously an actress. Like, you look like an actress. Right, right, right. Talk yeah, like yeah, an, yeah. That kind of, anyway, so they go down to the catacombs of Paris and you know are haunted and that's basically the story. But there were moments in that film where I couldn't look at the screen. I was scared shitless. I was watching it with Teresa at night and right. we were both terrified. And, like, that's not easy to do. Like, there's plenty of movies that have tried to do that to me and haven't right, done when it. I first saw Wreck, the first Wreck, I was absolutely... Yeah, and, and, yeah. and actually, I really liked the American remake, weirdly, Quarantine. I thought Quarantine was really good, and Quarantine too. 
prefer it, but I, I, I saw them before I saw Rex, so right, I don't, okay, I don't know about that. But I'm just saying, they, you know, they scared me and frightened me. And this one didn't scare me or frighten me, but it did. It was weird and you know troubling. But I, I think you're right. At the time when we were teenagers, yeah, those movies, The Reanimator, Howling, Nightmare on Elm Street, all the ones we loved, were really visceral and and weird and troubling and yeah. and all about like the the fragility of the human body but also how much fun it is to like I don't know to watch horrible things happening you know what I mean and that was but that's what we were into but now people aren't now they're into having a shit schedule which which is like that's cool it's just like things things move in cycles you're comparing sort of horror with 80s horror I was talking more the pervading sense meaning that and I think your comparison has a lot I think your comparison like horror movies have moved back more to some extent to the 70s where it was a lot of um, psychological and and, um, tension and that kind of stuff Um, but I think what I was talking more about is it's not just the Bride of Reanimator that had like weird and wonderful ideas in it, or even the Howling Nightmare on Elm Street or the others you mentioned. If you watch blockbuster movies of that time, it's weird and wonderful. Temple of Doom is weird and wonderful. The Young Sherlock Holmes is weird and wonderful. Howard the Duck is weird and wonderful. Um, Ghostbusters is weird and wonderful. Like if you actually analyze like some of the stuff that's in Ghostbusters, the original one, like the zombie cab driver and like just the the idea of some of the stuff that they find in the library and just various things throughout that movie it's sort of weird and wonderful like it's incredibly inventive and creative you know what I mean well, even if Aykroyd is plundering a bunch of like mad books he read in his brother's yeah, but you, life but, you, but, but, here's, still... but here's the thing but what's, and this is, this is it's unfortunate but the truth of the matter is that you think that that's disappeared but it hasn't but it just it lives on TV now that spirit of things because what it is is that TV is like how movies used to be in the, in the 80s and people keep telling me this and I, no, no, I keep just, watching just TV and hear not me out, seeing anything hear, okay. hear me out what I'm saying right. and it's purely in terms of finances right in your 80s 90s blockbuster movies you could afford to spend whatever like 10, 20 million and you could take risks because you're trying to stand up stand you know, out from the other 20 million right? Right, right that's what you're trying to do so there's a lot of money being pumped in, but like not enough that like they can afford to take their oh, losses, yeah. basically. Right. And uh, and TV's all about like we just we crank it out. It's 26 episodes. The same thing happens every week. It's oh, yeah. got to be. Can we skip forward to the point where you give me an example where TV is as inventive and weird as a? All right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So because I get what you're saying and I understand. Right, I think everyone listening. <clears throat> I'm just okay now. Granted, I haven't seen the whole... I don't mean to be rude. No, no, no. Granted, I haven't seen the whole thing, but what you're talking about, something like Penny Dreadful, for example, has a lot of that stuff, which I thought would be your, up your street, given it's Dalton. I just haven't got round to watch... Oh, I'm just saying, it's, it's all, it's like hammer influence, but it's weird and strange and unusual and like troubling, kind of cool, and it's got... Dalton is one of the lead guys in no, it, know, being yeah, very yeah. cool. I want to see it. Yeah. And, is it still on Netflix? Uh, no, it's Showtime. And Showtime can be a bugger to get. Oh, we have Showtime. Oh, well, then it's on Showtime. Yeah. Um, and you've got... Uh, Hannibal on NBC 
was unbelievable. I've never Hannibal was as close to what's going on in reanimators as I've ever seen. Practical effects, unbelievably gory, like proper body horror, like but funny, darkly comic, deeply troubling. Uh, looks unbelievable, like amazing. Just like those shots in Reanimator, like the closest thing on TV at the moment to Reanimator is Hannibal. And it was, you know, it was, it, nobody watched it, but they kept it on for three seasons because it was amazingly good. Really terrific. Um, that was That's another good horror one. American Horror Story, like it or not, was weird and strange. And, and I've only seen the first series, but like I really enjoyed it. It was odd. And not like, ooh, there's a scary thing, but right, like, right, just right. strange and, and okay. troubling. And there's, there's plenty, because the idea is the financial risks are the same. In other words, Fox or whoever, or Showtime, can afford to throw like a chunk of money at a series and for it to afford to fail, because only one of out of their eight needs to succeed for them to make all the money back. Just like movies used to be back in the day. Right. But now, you make a movie, if, uh, unless yeah, it's it going to be like a low budget, you have to make your money back. That's, yeah, that's all there yeah, is to yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is much more like TV used to be, which is, listen, Jessica Fletcher's got to solve the murder every week because this is costing us a lot of money, you know what I mean, and it needs to right. make it back. That's how, that's how it is. Right. Fewer series, less risks. No, and, and there that's are... Where, and it's just, they just... They just there are, for example, like... Uh, we've just been re-watching the Marvel movies because Civil War's coming out and Kim Kim Hansen's an amazing experiment that's no right to come off that experiment but like if you look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy and I know it's done by James Gunn who has like a kind of yeah but then that's their gift throwback fan but anyway something like Guardians of the Galaxy has no business succeeding and actually succeeding it it doesn't succeed in the areas that you think it would. In other words, the square jawed quipping hero and the sexy green alien woman next to him. They're actually the most boring thing about it. What succeeds is like the big lumbering Hulk guy who takes everything and literally. The talking raccoon with a machine gun. The talking gun. Right, right. raccoon with a machine gun and a tree that only says three words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? One word. Right? Yeah, three words. Great. I am Groot. Oh, I am Groot. Yeah, you're right. So like the three things where you're like, this shouldn't succeed... It succeeds off the back of that. But and see, they're by far the but, most inventive things happening of, in any of... But you see, the genius of Marvel, as opposed to, say, for example, the... DC the, 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 the genius of them is they know how to give the masses what they want. So, in other words, like you may not agree with the Chris Pratt, so it's not but like that element on it, right. the easy to identify with, oh, I know where I am with this, that's what's getting 80% of the audience into the cinema because right. they know where they are. Where it's an adventure, it's going to be action, here are heroes, the end. And then putting enough interesting, weird, like nice little bits of dialogue, nice little ideas, little visual gags. The, the, the 20% of people who get passionate, like the fanboys or the rest of it, are going to be, you know, really enthused. And that's how you manage to make a whole universe out of it. Because you are finding a way to make everybody happy. No, you're not making the greatest film. Like the people that enjoy the, you know, the, the group raccoon bits would have maybe done a better movie. Maybe like, you know, Serenity, something with a, a more a purity of vision to it. Maybe right. that excites them more. But in terms of, like, these days, cinema has become... It's much more of a transaction, as in, I'm paying you money, and I need to be entertained for this money, because I'm poor, I don't have a lot of money, right. and this is costing me cash. Right. So everybody expects to go and <coughs> take something out. That's why, you know, the Force Awakens, Star Wars, right? 
but he had a lot of problems to it. But I enjoyed watching it a lot. Like, I really enjoyed it. I haven't seen it. Well, it's really enjoyable. Like, there's nothing else. There's nothing else to say. And I, and I think that's what people are saying about Batman v Superman. Yeah, there's got a lot, there's got a lot of problems. But I really enjoyed it. At least that's what I'm hearing from like from some place. And yeah. Also, there was well. always bound to be. If what goes around the internet is all the critics hated this, and here it is with a low thing on it, there's bound to be a backlash on yeah. that. And it doesn't matter if all the critics had loved it. Guaranteed, the same fans that are saying that they liked it and were really enjoyed by it would have come out of the cinema and gone, I don't know what the critics were talking about because I found that a bit boring. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. You, you have, it, it did work out for them. I'd be interested to see how it's going to go from here. I, I, the trailer for Suicide Squad, other than the fact but that... I have, I, have, I have absolutely no interest well, in the DC Universe whatsoever. Well, I mean, I, I mean, absolutely I, no I, interest. The, the trailer for Suicide Squad, it used Bohemian Rhapsody brilliantly. Right. Whoever made the trailer deserves like a big pay rise but there was like only one bit of dialogue in the whole film right at the end and it was like oh that's a weak joke and it's directed by Sabotage right yeah 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 and no way does that go it's a really fun idea like what if we made the Dirty Dozen with super villains that's a completely brilliant idea for a movie no way would I give that to the guy that made Sabotage which was awful you know what I mean because it wasn't funny no it wasn't it didn't make any sense It it was a bit crap it was over the top Far too took itself far too seriously. It was a bit crap. I'd give Suicide Squad to you know Joss Whedon. I know someone with a sense of humor. Right. You know what I mean? Or, like I'm not. I think he's like gone mad. He's in prison somewhere. But like John mid '90s John McTiernan, I would give Suicide Squad to. Do you know what I mean? Somebody that's yeah, going to make yeah, a bang yeah. out action film with some good lines. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's who I give that. Well, that's not that, David that, fucking. My my trouble also, is also David S Goyer, the guy that <coughs> writes all these movies, yeah. is a fucking hack. hack. No, I know, he's I know. A hack. Everyone thinks that about Goyer, though. Everyone hack. thinks that about Hacky, hacky, hack, hack. Um, so it, I mean, it is what it is. What it is. I I will stick with. I will stick with Marvel just because there is still enough characters in there. The only thing that, the that only, I'm interested yeah, in. And but even I'm getting incredibly tired of that universe. They haven't let, the only one that's let me down that I felt genuinely let down by was Ant Man. I thought Ant Man was boring. Not fun. See, weirdly enough, I didn't mind that man. I disliked Age of Ultron. That was the, that's probably the worst. Uh, but again, I think Age of Ultron, for me, I got the Batman VC fan. First of all, I will say this every Marvel film I've watched on a plane, I've really enjoyed. <laughs> I, right, except, right. For, except for the Avengers on the cinema, which I really enjoyed. Right. Thor and Captain America, when I hadn't really well, made we watched my mind Aven- yet. We, didn't, we watched Avengers on my 3D. TV, that's when you really, that's the first time you watch that. No, 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 me and Teresa saw it in cinema. We saw the Avengers in the cinema. Oh, okay. But we might not have seen it in 3D. Oh, no, we didn't okay. see it in 3D, that's right. We we okay. saw it um, the first time in 3D on your, on your But anyway, anyway that's all yeah. good. Uh, wait, 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 we, we got we, way we off, the off the point. But, but um, it has its place, uh, the reason we're talking about place. this is it has its place yeah. in the history of entertainment and it is and it is on the cusp like we said it's on the cusp of the 90s it is on the cusp of all that 80s horror excess madness collapsing under its own yeah surreal nonsense it is right on the cusp of that yeah you know what I mean yeah because then you're getting into more because you've got a couple more years and then you start getting the screens and the know what you did last summers and whatever and, and horror goes back to like yeah slasher and some other stuff like yeah. it stops being inventive you still get like Freddy vs. Jason which has some like really interesting but I feel like that's almost an early comic it is yeah, 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 yeah like that's yeah, yeah. the that's the void it's trying to yeah that kind of all give the fanboys what they want because that all these guys so 
certain amount of cash. The, the idea of like the high concept movie, basically. Right. Um, no, the odd one still ekes out throughout the 90s, but I think this is just on the cusp of... Yeah, yeah. I think like Silence of the Lambs as well, because like, oh, we can do serious horror. Which always makes me laugh about Silence of the Lambs because it's so obviously put together like an incredibly enjoyable hokey B movie. Oh, yeah, 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 it's great. The fact that it won Oscars always makes know, me laugh because it's, really it's absolute bonkers. Yeah. Like, he, he escapes wearing some dude's face and, like, having strung someone up elaborately in a cage. It's because, yeah, I guess like, people, none I guess of that people would like work. to be scared. No, you're right. I guess people like to be scared. And. Like that whole serial like people are crazy for that shit. Right. But then you see, the thing I don't understand is when such, and the same thing happens with like Escape from New York and Escape from LA and lots of other movies. But everyone says like Silence of the Lambs is amazing, like it's an Oscar worthy horror movie. And, but then like the remake of Red Dragon and Hannibal, both of which are absolutely equally just as bonkers, serial killer, one liner spouting, brain chomping madness. They go, oh, it's awful. It's the worst thing ever. Yeah, but to be fair, I really like Science of Land. And I haven't seen... I like Red Dragon and I like I couldn't. I couldn't watch 10 minutes of Red Dragon. And Hannibal suffers from being made by Ridley Scott, which means it's overblown, pompous I kind of enjoy... No, I can't... I'm, I'm, I just... I have a big problem with Ridley Scott. Me and Ridley Scott do not get on. No, he made what? Alien and what else that's any good? Well, John swears blind. Because he's never really liked Blade Runner either. But he saw Blade Runner on the big screen and said it was really amazing and he finally got whatever we were fucking talking about. So I really need to see Blade Runner on the big screen before I make any positive judgment on Ridley Scott. Okay. There we go. All right. Anyway, Thanks very much for having me, uh, man. It's fine. You've I believe been... we covered cinema. Yes. All of cinema. All of cinema. You've been Jim Wallace. I have. I've been John Cross. This has been the Afternoon Diner. I've eaten shrimp and I'm farting up a storm. <laughs> Let's end. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yes, let's end indeed. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the After Movie Diner, why not head over to iTunes or Stitcher or Spreaker or YouTube or somewhere and give us a rating and a review. And if you've really liked this episode, why don't you head over to patreon.com forward slash After Movie Diner. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash After Movie Diner and help sponsor the show. And if you wish to write to us, you can at aftermoviediner at gmail.com or call us at 347-669-0053 or head over to speakpipe.com forward slash aftermoviediner and you can also leave a voicemail there. All right, thank you ever so much and we'll leave you, as always, with a little ditty.
eyes and her hair still wet I didn't know whether that decision I regret But some legs just weren't made for roaming I still live and work in this ramshackle town And I try not to let the past grind me down And I hope what she was looking for she eventually found And she left me the day after prom I picture her sometimes the country stretched out in front Some people just live for the thrill of the hunt And I hope that she's happy and has all that she wants But some legs just weren't made for roaming Oh, she was my queen and I was her king For her I would have done anything but she wanted the world and all I got her was a ring And she left me the day after prom Yeah, she left me the day after prom Yeah, she left me the 